Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. As we continue our series, Headlines, we will discover how the believers in the resurrection offered forgiveness, even to the most unlikely of people. We have the opportunity to share He is Risen by how we forgive others, even our enemies. Because today we're going to continue our series um, looking at the uh, looking at the early church, the people who believed in the resurrection through the eyes of a news outlet. And each week we are going to be looking at what kind of headline the people who believed in the resurrection made after the resurrection. Now, on Easter Sunday, we began with the premise that in reality, the evidence for the resurrection is very, very small. It's empty tomb and grave clothes. I mean, that's really pretty much it. Um, And so the empty tomb doesn't necessarily speak to the resurrection of Jesus. But then he began to show himself to his followers. And we began discussing how that the story of the resurrection didn't just end with the empty tomb. It was just the beginning. And as his followers saw him, they began acting differently than they did at the crucifixion. You think about it, his followers were in hiding. They didn't want to be associated necessarily with the failed Messiah, the one who died. But three days later, they started showing up and saying, he is risen. And people are like, what are you talking about? And their lives began to be different. They began spending time with people that you don't normally, they didn't spend time with. They began doing things that bear witness to the resurrection. In other words, they began living like the resurrection actually happened rather than just staying where they were. And so here we are 2,000 years later and we're looking at the headlines that they made, but also we find out that we as people who believe in the resurrection can continue to make headlines that bear witness to the resurrection. And so today's headline, I think, would be difficult for the news to write. Because if we're really, really honest about the news, you know, newspapers and some news organizations, they do homework. And one of the things that news organizations tend to do is to dig up any kind of skeletons that might be in somebody's closet, right? I mean, you see this with politicians all the time. I'm running on this. Yeah, about eight years ago, you said exactly the opposite, politician. Right? You know, this this is what the news does, right? They, They look to find your past. And if there is anything that they would deem to be terrible, they're going to bring it up. That's what the news organization does. And there's this kind of... All it takes is one incendiary comment for somebody to, for their public, their public, uh, public, what's the word? Public spotlight, their public career is ended, right? It's one incendiary comment. And they're like, they are this. They are always this, right? You ever notice that too about news? They've come to a point where if somebody said something like years ago, there's this concept that that person has not changed since those years ago. And they don't let it go. Ow. 
That has never happened. There's a first for everything. Good news is this is wood, everybody. <clears throat> so the news is not really a forgiving institution. It's not. And we, believe it or not, sometimes act in the same way as news organizations. If somebody has done something in our lives, they are that person forever and ever. Good luck, God bless, have a nice life. And we begin to treat others like they cannot change. There's a lack of forgiveness. There is a significant lack of forgiveness in our culture. So today's headline would really bother a lot of people. And it might bother you, consequently. Today's headline is simple. Movement forgives most would consider enemies. Movement meaning the, the people who believed in the resurrection. It's, it was like a movement. And they forgive who most would consider to be enemies. Think of that concept of forgiving your enemy. Difficult. But the people who believed in the resurrection began living this out and bared witness to the resurrection. So we're going to look at this news story, this, this account in Acts today, chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. And before we get to this, i, I got to give you some context, okay? Peter and John were disciples of Jesus. They followed him. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, and then the Spirit came down at Pentecost, they, they, were these, they, they became what we call apostles. They became the leaders. They, be, they became the main teachers of sorts. So Peter and John are on their way to temple because they're Jews. Okay, Peter and John, they're, they're on their way to worship at the Jewish temple, right? And they come across a man who is lame. And he's, he's, the, the man isn't even looking for, you know, healing, because these guys aren't Jesus. They're, he's looking for money. He needs help. He needs, he, need, he needs to eat. And he can't work to eat. And so we ask them, hey, can I have some money, please? Can you, you know, you, this kind of thing. And Peter and John look at him, and they say, you know what? I'm going to give you more than money. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he's healed. And he can walk. And when you read this in the first part of chapter 3, you just can't help but think, man, this sounds familiar. This is something like Jesus would do. This is amazing. This amazing miracle. And all they said was in Jesus' name and he is all of a sudden no longer lame. He can walk. This is amazing. And the people who are on their way to temple, Jews, see this. They know this guy. He's hanging out next to the temple all the time. And they're like, he can't walk, can he? <laughs> and so they begin to gather around Peter and John and this man because something unique has happened here. Something crazy has happened. And, you know, we're human. And we're, we get like, oh, what's going on over there? So Peter and John begin to speak to the people 
the Jews about this miracle and how it happened. Here's what they say in verse 12. Seeing this, Peter addressed the people. You Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if we made him walk by our own power or piety? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. And this is the one you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence. Even though he had already decided to release him, you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, the very one whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this, and his name itself has made this man strong. That is because of faith in Jesus' name, God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave him complete health right before your eyes. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So did your rulers. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. Change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Now you might be thinking to yourself, Ooh, Peter ain't holding anything back, is he? He ain't pulling no punches. I'm going to turn my phone on silent. If your phone's not on silent right now, it might, might be a good time now to look at it. Make sure that's turned off. Peter comes before these people, these Israelites, these Jews going to temple, who just a few weeks before killed Jesus. These were the people who yelled at Pilate, say, crucify him. Now, Peter and John... We, we say disciples, we say apostles, and we think, oh, that relationship, you know, they just, they just followed Jesus. But you have to realize that Jesus wasn't just the person they followed. He was a friend. He fought, they, they knew each other so well, so intimately. They lived with one another for three whole entire years. And do you think that Peter and John at any time might think, hmm... I don't think I want to hang out with uh, those Messiah killers over there. Why would I ever talk to the people who killed my Lord? They'll probably never, ever, ever come around. They'll probably never understand. And yet, they don't say any of that here. In fact, they begin speaking to them in such a way to help them understand what has happened. They begin to extend to them a relationship that's defined with brother and sister. They begin to extend to them a relationship that talks about the forgiveness of sins. What is going on here? 
Usually whenever there's enemies and they're against us, we just let them be what they are and go on our own merry way. Why in the world would Peter and John be willing to talk to them about this? Because the reality of it is, is that most people in our world today would not reach out or even talk to these folks if they were our enemies. If they were our, they believed in everything opposite of what we believe in. So why? Well, I think the answer comes back a little bit to what we've been talking about. They are bearing witness to the resurrection. There's no reason to talk to these folks and offer them a new life unless the resurrection actually did indeed happen. But let's go a little bit deeper. It's one thing to, to speak to somebody or forgive somebody, but to invite them into a relationship with you, that seems counterproductive, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever felt like somebody has taken advantage of you or stabbed you in the back and so much that you know you just you're just like no I, I have to give up on you we're done we're done you ever felt like that before you ever heard that before you ever been given that advice by somebody before it's exactly opposite to what peter and john are doing here We begin to see that there is no boundary between the people who believe in the resurrection and those who have committed the greatest of sins. There is no boundary. There's no seeing somebody as being so bad that they don't deserve to hear the good news that Jesus died and raised from the dead. There is nothing that will stop them from reaching out to people with the good news that Jesus forgives sins and gives everlasting life. Not physical limitations with the man who they healed, and not the people who yelled crucify him in the public square that led to Jesus' death. And we begin to understand that, that, that Jesus has changed the relationship for all people. That Jesus, when he says brothers and sisters, he calls us brothers and sisters. He gives people who believe in him the ability to call anybody a brother or a sister. No matter what they've done. This, this is so important. 
that we recognize this statement right here. The past and the sins of others should not dictate our love for them. And I should have put, instead of not, I should have said never. The past and or the sins of others should never dictate our love for them. Because these believers didn't allow it to dictate their love for the people who killed Jesus. Now, if you think that this is an easy thing, it's not. Anytime that you've ever granted forgiveness to somebody, you know how difficult it is. Because in the back of your mind, you think through the different kinds of things and how many times you have been hurt. And is it really worth offering forgiveness? But what Peter does is he is very assertive in this moment. He's very blunt. And he begins to share with those who killed Jesus where the wrong was. And a lot of people think that if you offer forgiveness, that there's not this, that, that you're basically rolled over the entire time. You just roll over and say, I forgive you and let it go. No, 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 no. Forgiveness has to start somewhere. And what Peter begins to do is he begins to share with them, hey, you killed the author of life. In marriage and premarital counseling, I always talk to, to couples about how that if you, have to, if you have to go through conflict resolution, there has to be a voicing of what's wrong in the first place. And the reality of it is, is that forgiveness cannot happen until what has been done wrong has been talked about. In other words, forgiveness can only begin when pain is voiced. I have that up there. There it is. Forgiveness can only begin when pain is voiced. And that's really hard for us because that means that if I'm the offender, I actually have to listen to what I did wrong. That's not easy to do. And if I was the one who was wronged, that means I have to have the courage to share what I am feeling, what I'm going through. And Peter just simply says to them, hey, Y'all messed up. You missed the Messiah. You missed the guy that Isaiah talked about. You missed the Son of God. And we're not just talking about any God. We're talking about the God of our ancestors, Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. You missed it, but it's, hey, I know you're ignorant. I get it. I get it. We, <laughs> you have to think here, too. It's not like Peter always got it. <laughs> he understands where they're coming from, and he says, we get it, you're, you're ignorant. 
But that doesn't mean that your life can't be transformed now. That doesn't mean that I withhold this amazing good news from you. Turn to God and receive his forgiveness. Because I have received his forgiveness and there is forgiveness between us because you are my brother and sister. Peter begins to share right where the people are so that they might come to know that Jesus indeed is the Savior of the world and did indeed resurrect from the grave. That's why when Peter begins talking about how Jesus was the Son of God, the, the same God of their ancestors, he talks about all of this. You think that Peter would have talked about all of this to some guy who doesn't know anything about Jewish life at all? No. He begins to share the gospel in a way that truly affects those around him. And then all of a sudden, things begin to connect from last week's message. That, that, that the, the people who believed in the resurrection didn't go into the public realm with a one-size-fits-all message. In fact, they looked to meet people where they were. Last week, we talked about how they would sell their possessions to give to people so they wouldn't be in need anymore. And here we see the same exact thing happening. It begins with the man who is physically lame. What does this man need more than anything? He needs to be healed. They don't go to the man and say, if only you had faith, you would walk again. Thank the Lord they didn't say something like that. They met his need. And they bared witness to the resurrection by saying, get up in the name of Jesus Christ. And a miracle happened. Miracles still happen today, friends. And if we're going in to relationships with people with this kind of way, well, you know, if you just would have better faith or if you just believed in God or if you just believed the same moral religious thing that I got going on, we'll be fine. No. They meet these people where they're at. And they share with these Israelites, these Jews the knowledge they need to put the puzzle together. And the reality of it is that you and me, who live 2,000 years later, have the opportunity to do the same thing as they did. To meet people where they are instead of having them, yeah, why don't you get a little bit better of a person? Why don't you, why don't you stop that? Stop that habit. I don't know if I want to spend time with you. You, uh, you go to that place. Go to that bar. Go to that club. No, that's, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to 
meet people where they're at. And we begin to recognize this. Robert Wallace says this. God's redemptive intuition is to liberate people from whatever that debilitates them and prevents them from enjoying the good things created for them. This isn't just about people accepting forgiveness. This is about receiving life. So we... We sell our possessions so that people aren't in need any longer. We see a person as a child of God instead of seeing them as Muslim or black or Hispanic or immigrant or all these other things that we like to do. We, we don't see them as those things. We see brother, sister, child of God. I love you. We see them with love and grace. We see every person, no matter what they have done, with the same eyes that Jesus had for you and for me. Now, the only way that this happens, the only way that you and I, the only way that Peter and John was, were able to do this is because of God. You might be thinking, this is, this is impossible. There's no way this is happening. There's no way I'm forgiving my brother or my sister or my coworker or insert person. Insert somebody's name. There's no way I'm forgiving Bob. There's no way I'm forgiving Jim. There's no way I'm forgiving Cindy. There's no way I am forgiving Brooke. There's no way I'm going to forgive these people who have done this terrible thing. There is no way I am going to forgive Putin. <laughs> Insert the villains of today's world. Kim Jong-un, ISIS, Assad. There's no way I can forgive any of these people. Yeah, there is. And it's only if you allow the Spirit to work within you. It is the only way. Because again, this happened after Pentecost. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and to do these things. The healing doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit being in them. Neither does the forgiveness. Neither does the words. Neither does the understanding of what they need to say to the people. And the only way that we receive the Spirit is that we push ourselves aside and allow Him to work. And so whenever we hear the words love your enemy, we don't think of all the ways that we can't do it, but rather how God equips us to do it. When Jesus says to turn the other cheek, 
It's not, but what about me? Instead, it's, what is God going to do if I offer forgiveness in this relationship? Because that is the reality of it. This is another moment where the people who believed in the resurrection lived as if the resurrection happened. You and I, 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed, friends. Sadly, we think that it has changed. We think that it's changed because it's far more accepted than it used to be. And I'm not talking about culture. I'm talking about in the church. There are people in the church that don't talk to one another because of something that happened. There are people who say, you know what? That guy said something wrong. I'm not going to say anything to that guy about it that I'm upset about this, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to the church down the way. And the people who say they believe in the resurrection do not act like the resurrection has happened because they fight with one another and they do not offer forgiveness to one another. We don't. Why do you think there's so many denominations? They believe the wrong thing. That's unforgivable. Well, let's start another church over here. I always make the joke. I shouldn't make this joke, but I'm going to make it anyways. Non-denomination. You, 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 we have these non-denoms right now, right? Non-denoms are just a Baptist church that was upset with the former Baptist church. <laughs> to be totally honest with you. We, in our church history, have had splits. Have had people leave. And I'm not here to talk about who was wrong and who was right. The fact of the matter is, is that there wasn't forgiveness offered from either side. So if you and I want to live in a way that bears witness to the resurrection, that shows that the resurrection actually happened, we must live as Jesus told us to live. Forgive one another. Love one another. Even your enemies. When Jesus says the words, forgive, and if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven, we better take it to pretty real, literal ends in our lives. Because that's how they lived, and that's how we can live. Even with all the pain, even with all the history, we have the opportunity to live the way 
God wants us to live. You want to know what God's will is in, in the buff that you have? Or the, whatever, whatever issues you might have with somebody in your family, you want to know what God's will is? Forgive. It's simple. <laughs> but, but they did. They, they, forgive. Talk about it. It's going to be tough. I know. But it begins with us moving ourselves out of the way and allowing the Spirit to guide those conversations. I, I, I wanted to look up a real-life headline, a, a real story for, for this. And I found a story that actually speaks about when somebody who believes in Christ didn't extend forgiveness. But then it was after the fact that they began to realize what God means by this. I'm going to share with you a story. <clears throat> In Missouri, there was a, a little, a, a girl, uh, I forget her first name. But this girl was raped and murdered by two men. These two men were arrested. These two men went to trial. And I know at least one of the men, Jeff Ferguson, was sentenced to death for what he did. Given the death penalty for what he did. And this girl's family, the Hall family, her dad, Jim Hall. They went on record all the time by saying, we really believe that her death will not have closure until he breathes his last breath. This is intense. Because in their minds, they lost their daughter. And the only way for them to actually move on from losing their daughter to such a horrendous and terrible crime is for the man who did it to meet his maker. Jeff Ferguson was killed, executed for what he did to their daughter. But it was a little bit later that Jim Hall begins to share his story, his side of it, being the victim. That after that execution, he did not have peace. And he wrote to the Columbia Tribune, this is in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri, in December of 2016, an opinion. And he calls on the governor, Jay Nixon, to commute the rest of the death sentences for that year. 25 other men were scheduled to die by death penalty. And Jim Hall all of a sudden says, you can't do this. You cannot do this. And people are wondering why. Well, he wrote this opinion. We have since come to deeply regret Jeff Ferguson's execution and appeal to Governor Jay Nixon during his final days in office to commute to life without parole 
the death sentences of the remaining 25 men awaiting an execution date. Months after he was executed, we learn that Ferguson, his daughter's killer, had also been a leader in the prison's hospice, GED, and restorative justice programs. He participated frequently, for example, as a panelist among prisoners who listened to victims share how crimes had devastated their lives. Such programs allow offenders to better understand the impact of their crimes and promote healing for surviving victims. Now, the Hall family didn't know about this. The Hall family never reached out to Jeff Ferguson. They say, he's going to die. I don't need to see him. There's no reason. I do not want to open myself to the pain of seeing my daughter's killer. But then he writes a little bit later, I'm convinced significant healing would have occurred for us all if our family had engaged in a frank conversation with him at the prison. I wish I had had the chance, consistent with my Christian beliefs, to have told him in person that I forgave him for what he did to our innocent and precious daughter. We later learned that Jeff Ferguson, the killer, was hesitant to reach out to us to express his remorse, worried he would be inflicting more psychological harm by bothering us and would be seen as exploiting us just to persuade officials to spare his life. This in itself would have shown his change as a human being. When we withhold forgiveness, as people who believe in forgiveness, we continue pain, suffering, anguish in the world. And Jim Hall didn't recognize that until it was too late. And you might think to yourself, he deserved, no, 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 no. He deserved to be forgiven. Because Jesus hung on the cross for Jeff Ferguson just as much as you and I. That's why when Jesus in his last days said to his disciples, to his followers, love as I have loved you. We talk about love God, love neighbor all the time, but do we really understand what that love is? That love is sacrificial. Laying down our lives and our wills and what, what was done against us on the altar. And we forgive. We forgive as Christ forgave us.
Do you want to show how the resurrection is real? Love your enemy. Forgive your enemy. Actually, do you really even have an enemy if you love and forgive everyone? See every person, no matter what they have done, as a brother and sister. Not as a ist, a murderer, a racist, a whatever other thing we want to say to create division among us. This is how you and I can share with the world that the resurrection happened. Because this story is still developing. Thank you for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, visit us at championnaz.org.